You've been studying the book of Matthew, and you've been looking at chapter by chapter, carrying it through, and last week, Jordan uh, brought you into chapter 22 and through 22, and he uh, saw, you saw how people have been asking Jesus questions. They're their goal is actually to trick Jesus, to deceive him, uh, make him say something wrong so that they can then crucify him. But Jesus constantly answered them with wisdom, not always what they wanted to hear, but truly with wisdom. And then last week, he, he, he said, he, when asked what is the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he asked them a question as he finished this time of interaction. He said, and what about the Christ? What do you think of the Christ? And Jordan explained that and how that just kind of took them back. And the text that we read said, and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did Anyone dare to ask him any more questions? He silenced his critics. They didn't know what to say. And now it was his turn. We're going to hear Jesus speak. We're going to see in this chapter, as we come to chapter 23, that Jesus is going to challenge them and rebuke them and, and, and speak right to the heart of their sin and their sinfulness, and it'll be a strong word. And at times, we need to remember that Jesus spoke strong words to try to wake people up, and we'll talk about that. Remember, the Word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16 says, it, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for reproof, teaching for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. We really like the teaching, and we really like the training in righteousness, but it's the reproof and the correction that are sometimes difficult. And yet Jesus didn't hold back, especially as he, he spoke to the Pharisees, and he spoke strong words of rebuke. And his call, even as we had a, a song of confession, is for us to want to deal with sin in our lives, to be willing to repent and turn and follow him then as we are called to with our whole heart, with our mind and our strength. So keep on listening to Jesus this morning. At times, it'll seem intense, uh, but don't panic. Just hang in there and say, well, that was them, Lord. What about me? What do you have to say to me? And he will speak through his word and by his spirit. Our theme is that we need to listen to Jesus, our Savior. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would open it to, to our understanding. And Lord, may we have open hearts to, to hear you and be willing to allow you to work and to change us and move in our hearts. So we commit this time, Lord, I, I commit your word to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I've divided the sermon into three parts because we're going to do the whole chapter. Uh, James gave me the whole chapter. Sorry about that. Uh, chapter 23. And in chapter 23, Jesus speaks to three groups. He speaks at first to his disciples and the crowd. Then he speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other religious leaders. And then last, he speaks to the city. And we're going to look at each one and, and read through the, the text. And if you have your Bibles, you can just open to chapter 23 and follow along as we uh, go through it. I know you do have Bibles at the back too, if you need to uh, grab one there. And I've put the speeches to each group under an application, each one under an application, uh, appropriate application from the, that section. So the first of all, it's to be careful, then to be clean, and then to be compassionate. The crowd is silent now, and Jesus speaks to them. We read in Matthew 23, in verses 1 to 12, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to the disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, and they themselves are not willing to move them even with their finger. Jesus often uses hyperbole just to exaggerate, to make the point. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the seat of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and the gathering of marketplaces and like being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no one father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted." Be careful. Be careful how you live. He, he challenges them because, as he says, they know the word. In fact, they like to, they like to teach it. Uh, I sometimes think maybe they're like uh, people say, you know, if you can't do something, you teach it. Well, uh, that's kind of how they are. They don't do it, but they teach, at times, teaching the Word of God, and many times adding rules and regulations and, and extra burdens to it. But the text says their, their problem was, initially, he says, they, they preach, but they do not practice. Now, this is a challenge to every preacher. My son, 
myself, any preacher, that you, it's not just preaching the word, but you want to live the word. It's doing the word of God. Truth be known, every preacher that is proclaiming the word of God usually preaches to himself or herself first before preaching to someone else. In fact, uh, when I preach, uh, sometimes maybe through the week when I was in regular ministry, uh, oh, maybe to confess, sometimes I I do get worried or I get a little stressful about things, and I say, Lord, keep giving it to God. You ever give it just to God? You just need to keep giving it, giving it to Him. And uh, then I'll preach on Sunday, and... Janet, in a loving way, would say on the way home, "Why you preach to yourself today. (laughs) And that's absolutely true. We preach to ourselves. Uh, Pastors uh, are not perfect, and we we do. We we all want to not only proclaim the word, but live the word. We want to be, each one of us, like James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Whereas women, as they, Jesus came out of the city in Luke 11 one time, uh, in verse 28, they were saying, how oh, blessed are you, and uh, Jesus, and they were following along, and Jesus turned to them, and he said, no, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. We need to be people who do the word of God. But it's not only every pastor's challenge, it's every parent's challenge to live what you believe and what you preach. Nobody knows you better than your own family. They see how you live. They see you every day. Our kids, our kids see, hear what we say and they see how we live. And so that we desire that they would see Christ and earnestly desire to follow him. Someone has said that truth is as much caught as it is taught. What they see is what they'll do. And so that's a challenge for us as parents to live what we believe and live the truth. It's every believer's challenge, is it not? So seek to walk in the Spirit and to live out the Word of God in your life and um, and. And let it flow. And don't be surprised. Sometimes you'll get caught. A a family had some people over for dinner. And the dad, they had had a stressful day and getting everything ready and all this. And um, came time to pray. And he was just, well, Johnny, would you pray? As they looked around the table with their guests there and so on, Johnny says, well, what do I pray? Oh, just pray something you've heard Daddy say. Oh, Lord, why do we have to have these people here today? (laughs) Lord, it would have been so much easier just to have dinner. (laughs) Well, you get caught. (laughs) Uh, you know, but they hear and they see. 
And so we desire to live and be all that he would have us to be. We teach, but we also do. For in Philippians 1, 21, it says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So be careful how you live. But be careful, too, your motives. Your, uh, that you be careful of spiritual pride. And that was especially a problem for the Pharisees. And that's what Jesus speaks so strongly about. It was all about pride for them. If you see in verse 5, they, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. They were religious junkies, so to speak. They, they did their uh, religious activity not to glorify God, not just to, some of it just to fulfill requirement, but a lot of it so that people would see. And then they would praise and there'd be lots of affirmation and and so pride and spiritual pride was one of their biggest problems now i don't know if you think you you have spiritual pride or not but it it's the kind of thing that can creep into our lives even as ones who want to follow christ with our whole hearts for them it it creeped in 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 ways like you say you you Make your flactories big. They, they had this thing, and it's from the Old Testament, where you, a little black box, and it would have certain verses, some of them, uh, Exodus 13, uh, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, Israel, uh, Deuteronomy 11, and put in little boxes. And the Jews would, you'll even see it today, if you go to Jerusalem or if you see pictures. Uh, the one box they would put often on their forehead and the other box often on their arm. And, you know, my box is kind of small. I, I'm on a bigger box so people know I'm really spiritual. Uh, and so they started to make their boxes bigger so that people would not see God but see them. Or they, in their, on their clothing, they like a shawl, they would have tassels. And again, these were indicators of their spirituality. And so they wanted those tassels a little longer. So you go, whoa, there's a spiritual guy. Look at how long those tassels are. And so that's what they did. Then they wanted positions. Um, I didn't know if it would communicate, but... In a lot of churches, it's kind of like this. We don't fight for these front row, right? To us, the good seats are further back, if not all the way to the back. No offense to the back row. Uh, um, that's just the way we are. Uh, but in their day, here's Rabbi so-and-so. He's right in the front spot. He's to be seen. He wants to be seen by by others and recognized for his spirituality. Not so much for his commitment to God, but for for being there. And added to this, they they would go to marketplaces, they would go to feasts, be invited out, and oh no, oh, Rabbi, 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 here, 
this is your seat. Skewed others out of the way and the, the rabbi would get that spot. And that's what they wanted because they wanted to be seen by others in a religious way. Spiritual pride. This carried over to titles. They wanted to be called rabbi. They wanted to be called teacher. They wanted to be called father. They wanted to be called instructor. And Jesus challenges them and says to his disciples that they're not to be called rabbi because you're all brothers and sisters. You're brothers. You're not to be called teacher because you have one teacher, Christ, the teacher. Not to be called father, not to be called uh, instructor, teacher. And so he warns them against using these titles for spiritual pride. Now, it's not wrong, obviously, for us in our earthly uh, relationships to call one another. If we have a father, your father's here. To recognize him as your father, for his biological father, you, you're so thankful. It's not wrong to recognize teachers, those who instruct you and train you. I'm so thankful for those in my life who have had impact, whether it was in, in a kid's group, youth group, Bible school, in my life, just friends. But what Jesus is after is if we're doing it for spiritual pride, if we're doing it for recognition, then that's wrong. And we need to be careful. Jesus, or the Word of God encourages us to honor our parents, to honor our mothers and fathers, uh, honor teachers, honor... Jesus. Paul even called himself a spiritual father to the church there in Corinth. But Jesus does emphasize that we need to have a, a clarity that we, when it comes right down to it, we have one father and we have one teacher, and that's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So be careful. Watch your motives. Be careful how you live. Be careful, he goes on then, to be humble, he says. The greatest among you will be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Or later in 1 Peter 5, 7, the scripture says, Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. At a proper time, he will exalt you. Someone has said that the way up is the way down, that as you humble yourself, in his time, he will exalt you. How do you know you're humble? Here are a few thoughts I had. You know you're humble when you don't think the success of something depends all on you. You know you're humble when you're not the hero of every story you tell. You know you're humble when others are lifted up and encouraged when they're around you. You know you're humble when uh, 
people see Jesus and want to know him when they're around you. Earlier in Matthew, we studied, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. His is the glory. He is our focus. We need to be clear about that and careful to put him first in our lives as we live each day. Be careful. The next part is, is be clean. Now, this is a bigger section, and so get ready. Are you ready? Um, there are seven woes. Whoa. No. Whoa. Seven challenges. Jesus says, woe to you and woe to you, and he says it seven times. Uh, what is this uh, phrase uh, about woe? It, it's, a woe can be a warning. It can be a condemnation. It can be a rebuke, a challenge. It could even be a lament. Ah, woe. Woe is me, alas. But here in our text, because Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, a lot of the, the woe is, is a rebuke. Uh, they're wake-up calls, like when you go to the hotel and you say, could you wake me up at 6 o'clock? i got to get to this appointment. Well, these are like wake-up calls. He's trying to wake the Pharisees up, to challenge them, to get them to look at themselves. And as we read them, they apply it to them, but I want you to listen to see how and where they apply to you. Because you see, we all need wake-up calls. We all need to hear Christ speak to us. When he addresses them, he will say, scribes and Pharisees, he may add another word, but he's, every one of them, he says, hypocrites. So right away, he's kind of identifying their, the big sin that they're struggling with not living what they believe, uh, saying one thing and doing another. And so he calls them hypocrites. The Greek word is answer back. It, it has that idea. It became the idea that it was used in, in drama, answer back as in a dialogue. And so it eventually got associated with drama. And, and so he sees, stop playing, start being real. Stop playing and live your life for Christ. So he's saying he's challenging them in their walk and their lives because that's one of their big things. They're not living it out. And so he, he calls the, each time he challenges them. And we are challenged to follow him with our whole hearts. And at times his language will seem strong. You might even say, whoa, stop it, Jesus. That's, that's a bit too strong. <laughs> but remember, Jesus, meek and mild, is also Jesus, strong and holy. And so he speaks. And sometimes it's strong word. We don't often like rebukes, uh, 
If we could turn them all away, we might. And yet, I do like that verse in, in the book of Proverbs that reminds us that even a good friend at times has to challenge us. It says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all time, but a brother is born for adversity. That sometimes we need that extra challenge. Seven woes. The first woe is found in verses 13 and 14, if you can follow along. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. You shut the door in people's faces. The, the way to, to God, it's, you, he's saying you're shutting the, the door in their faces. And the problem is they've never really gone in themselves. It's all about religion. It's all about playing the game, acting the part. And they've never really gone in. And, and he says, that's the problem. You need to go in, accept, and, and believe. And that's really a challenge for all of us. It starts right with, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you ever asked him to be your, your Savior? Not someone else's, your Savior. Have you said, I know it's by grace I will be saved through faith. It's not of myself. It is a gift of God. It's not by works, lest I boast. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. And then is it your desire to make it attractive? How can we make the gospel more attractive and be true to the gospel? That's, that's what we desire. For it's not we want, we want to enter in, but we want to then invite others to enter in too. And so we want the gospel to be attractive and for others to come to know him as Savior. And so we live each day with that desire to enter, having entered in, to open the way for others. The second woe has, is found in verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you will make him twice as much the child of hell as you are. Wow. Um, proselyte, of course, is the word disciple. Uh, Pharisees were, that was a, another strong point, that they did have some strong points. One was they, they did a lot of evangelism in that sense. They weren't carrying the gospel, but carrying uh, Judaism. They spread Judaism all through Asia Minor and through northern Africa and all that. At the, at the time, it, uh, they wanted people to, to know the word. But then they added, the problem then was they added all their rules and they added all their regulations and they mixed it in with their hypocrisy. And, and so that Jesus says, and you've made some of them twice the child of hell that you are. You've 
they, they're following more Satan's way than, than God's way, is what he's saying. It's always that danger, you know, sometimes a follower is more extreme than the teacher. You can look at organizations and groups, and sometimes that's true. Uh, and, and he's saying that's what some of you have done in your desire to take the, the, wor- the word You've also taken falsehood and all these extra teachings. But our call, our call is to take the good news of Jesus Christ. Our desire is that people too would come to know him and have that uh, love for him. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have taught you. And, lo, I am with you always. We want people to come to know Christ. That's why you do things like the um, our outreach on the harbor, and we hand you uh, cards to take because we want you to be missionaries where you are in ways that you can to, to invite others so that they, too, could come to know Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that uh, God put a call on my life to, to go to another country, to go to, we went to Indonesia. In fact, that's where your pastor was born, uh, on one of the islands, uh, Silhouette, the island of Sulawesi, up in the northern part, Manado, uh, when we were there as missionaries. Uh, and yet, uh, being a missionary doesn't just mean going. For some, it, it will, and be open to that if God calls you. Many times, he too will give short-term opportunities. But also, he calls you right where you are, right where he's placed you, to be a witness for Christ, to invite others. Um, and so it starts here. Proclaim the word. Make true followers of Christ. The third woe uh, has to do with speech. And it's found in verse 16 and, and following. And you'll see it up there. Woe to you, blind guides. Uh, again, he adds a little there. You're, you're t- you don't even know where you're going and you're taking people with you. Uh, blind guides. Uh, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, notice how they uh, crank it up to make it more binding. Uh, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, what is greater, the gold or the temple in which made the gold sacred? And you say, well, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if someone swears by the gift on the altar, well, then he's bound by his oath. You see what they're doing? They're playing games. Um, And so whether one swears by the altar, uh, he swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. 
It's Jesus getting them, desiring them to be true to their word. It reminded me uh, that, I don't know if many of you have cable or if you're Netflix or however what you do, you're sort of entertainment watching like that. But right now, uh, many of the shows are finished. And it, it struck me the other day, it's sort of like game show season. I got all these game shows. They're fancy things that spin and lights that flash and dials that stop and balls that roll around. And, and, and somebody's got money to give away. Because <laughs> some of them, they give pretty good prizes away. Uh, but it's this sort of game show approach. Well, the Pharisees, that's sort of how this came. Well, if you swear by this, yeah, you might be bound. But if you swear by that, oh, that's even greater. And if you do that, well, that's even better yet. And so they created this whole system. And, and Jesus is saying no. In fact, it takes us back to Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus challenged his disciples to let their yes be yes and their no, no. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And say it and believe it and do it. And don't play games. And that's uh, the, the challenge here. Um, and so Jesus is trying to get them to move off their ridiculous game playing and be true to his, their word and, of course, to him. The fourth woe, he, he picks up in verse 23. Uh, woe to you, scribes and hypocrites, Pharisees and hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides. You're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Hello? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Don't you love it how Jesus does that at times? He'll just say something so that they all go away. What did he say? What? what? Uh, strain out a gnat, eat a camel. <laughs> Uh, it would make them think. Jesus wanted them to think and to be open to hear what he would have to say. He's saying you're focused on all the minor things and you're missing the big stuff. They were tithing on all the small bits of mint and cumin and all that, but they were we're missing the big things, the important things. And he lists uh, he lists justice and mercy and faithfulness. You know, sometimes in churches and in church life, people do that. They, they get focused on little things. And they get zeroed in on the, the small things, where the stand is, where, where this is, how that's played. And I don't know. I'm, I'm not picking up. I don't know any stories. So. <laughs> I'm just knowing from other experiences. 
Um, uh, the color of the walls, you don't get to paint these walls, by the way, but uh, the color of the walls, I've seen churches fight over where the organ or where the music instrument is and have major battles and miss loving one another, miss realizing how important it is to have a witness in the community and just being so focused on these little things. So be careful, because I am aware of none. So be careful there are, continue to be none. Because small things can become big things. And the tragedy is not only that, but take you away from the big things of loving one another and proclaiming the gospel. That's what we need. But here he uses three, and they're worth taking home and digesting. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. It does remind me of that verse in Micah 6.8 where he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We need to always keep our eyes on the important on the big things, and seek to live those out in our lives. Now, lest you think that maybe, as some do, when Jesus deals with this in this passage, he's said, oh, you don't have to tithe. I don't have to give. He didn't say that. You remember, if you read the, t- the verse, he says, well, you should have done that, but you also should have done these big things you kind of forgot. So don't forget, we still need to be faithful in our giving to the Lord, that God has blessed us in so, much, so many ways, and not out of religiousosity or uh, obligation, but out of the desire to give to God uh, as he has blessed us. And so we, we too ought to give to him. The fifth woe. Deal with sin on the inside. He says, Woe woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. Uh, First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside will be clean. One of the things Pharisees were very good at in their religious rules and so on was the washing of, of cups and, and their cutlery and their dishes and their hands. They did it a certain way. It had to be done in order for it to not only just be clean, but wholly clean. And, and so they, they would do that, and they were known for that, and Jesus knows that, and he picks up on that, and he says, you shouldn't just do that, but you need to think about what's on the inside, because he could see, even though they did that, that they were uh, full of greed and self-indulgence. I don't know why Jesus picked those two, but he could see it in them. And it challenges always to say, Lord, how's my inside? How am I living my life is my life full of greed and self-indulgence? Is all I think about is me and I, uh, the more and the more and the more? Or uh, 
Do I have that spirit that wants to give and to serve and to be involved in that, that way? And so we need to be careful uh, in our own lives and ask him, Lord, is there an area to clean here? Because we're talking about be clean. To be right uh, through confession. And again, I appreciated that opening uh, song. Repent and turn. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It starts on the inside. And what a wonderful verse that is. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I guess I've needed to claim it many times. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The sixth woe is similar in some ways. is that you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Let's read it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, he's speaking to, to them and to their issue. And he, he's not letting it go. He's like the dog that won't, won't let go. He's hitting at them because they're playing that game of hypocrisy and added to it lawlessness, not really, truly living the life. And again, it brings us back to that avoid playing the role. You can fool some of the people some of the time, you ever heard that? But you can fool God none of the time. None of the time. And so you need to be real with him, real with yourself. And so it'll show to be real to others. And you know what makes the gospel really attractive? Is when Christians are really living for Christ. Uh, it, it, it's not that we're perfect. Uh, I, 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 I've heard this illustration before, and I don't know if I can communicate it well, but uh, it's like you're not perfect, but what is the motion picture view of your life? Let me explain. Oh, well, let me add an illustration. Um, since coming to Abbotsford, a few times I've seen uh, movie sets on one of our coffee streets. Uh, oh, and then I'll be watching a, a Christmas special with Janet and all of a sudden, uh, like a, a movie and, oh, there's Duff's. Oh, there's, oh, I know that. Uh, of course, it's told, supposedly set somewhere else in, in the world, but... There it is, a street we know and a site we know. And maybe you've seen that. But my, what I want you to think about here is in, in our life, 
sometimes we can get discouraged because all this is about living the life all the time and walking. There are times we do fail. And like a movie, it's a film made up of little clips. And some of those clips, ooh, I wish that one wasn't there. Oh, does that have to be there? Can we just run the film? Ah, as we run the film, the life, while there are those moments, is living for Christ. And so the motion picture view of your life, does it reflect Christ? The last woe, and it's a longer one, but it's, it's you see the intensity of, of Jesus, uh, his intense, it, he gets more agitated in a sense that, I think it's because too he realizes he's getting near, nearer the cross, these are getting to be near the last days that he will be with them. He also realizes what's coming up for them and what lies ahead. And, and so he, intent, the challenges seem stronger. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 29, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the, prof, of the righteous, saying, well, if we had lived in those days, days of our father, we would have never... Uh, taking part in the shedding of blood uh, of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of, of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. He really sees them doing Satan's work. How, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore... I send you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of whom you will kill and crucify and some who you will flog in the, in the synagogues and, and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the, right, the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Barakiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar." By the way, that last story, if you want to read it, I won't take time to expand on it. You'll find the 2 Chronicles 24, 21. But he's saying that you, you honor the prophets as if you would have never done those things. But he knows what's coming. He knows what they're going to do. He knows what they're going to do to him. He knows what they're going to do to his followers, and he's saying, wake up. Don't you see it? And we need to be, remember that following Christ often has a cost, and there are people that pay regularly for their faith in Christ, and maybe you too experience a form of persecution in your life, in your workplace, where you, where you live. But in the early church, they killed all the apostles. Well, John eventually died. 
But they, we see people all over our, our world. Uh, the verse in 1 Peter 5, 8 and following, it says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. We need to realize that others, too, are standing with us as we live for Christ. So be clean. Deal with sin. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. And walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul puts it. So we've seen be careful. Careful how you live. Be clean. And now be compassionate. Uh, these are his words to the city. He begins this closing section, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Well... That's powerful. I would have gathered you, but you would not. Ever wonder, the gospel is available to all. Christ has paid the whole price. And yet there are still those that will not. We pray, and God knows, and God draws And then he says, see, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. His heart aches for the city. Here it is in this middle of this long engagement with the Pharisees. And as much as he has been, you might have felt like he was blambasting them, his heart has been breaking because they haven't been turning and responding to the message, haven't been responding to him. I mean, it's not the first time. At one point in his ministry in Matthew 9, he, 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 there was a whole crowd, and the text in verse 36 says, he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were helpless. And he so desired that they would know him. And, and now, then we come to Palm Sunday, which we call it that, in Luke 19. Before this incident, Jesus crested the hill and got that view of the city. I, lo I love how North Van, West Van, you guys often live up to where you see the city. <laughs> um, and I, I remember I was on a mission trip once in, in Mexico and we had a, there was a hill there and there's a picture that I can't translate except to say that I'll, you're up and looking over the city and seeing people and working and 
going to bed and cooking. And, um, and so Jesus crested the hill as he came to the city, and he, he, uh, it says that, and he drew near and saw the city, and he wept over it. He wept over it, saying, Would that even you had known on this day the things that were about to take place. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So even here in this in Matthew 23, his compassion is great because he is the prophet. He has the prophetic eye. He knows what's coming for them. And it breaks his heart to know. And he so desires them to know him. In 70 AD, that's what happened. We often don't talk about it, but the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. And Jesus was concerned for those that would not have an opportunity to hear. But the text says, there will be this day when you will not see me, but you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I often like to see multiple fulfillments in, in things, although there may be one primary fulfillment of prophecies. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord actually was, uh, had been quoted earlier on, on Palm Sunday when Jesus came in to the city. But it could be seen when Jesus rose from the dead. Blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. He is alive. Or in Acts chapter 2, when the gospel was proclaimed, the feet of those who brought the good news, and many came to know him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As you see God working in your, in your church, and seeing people come to know Christ, there are times you want to jump up and down and shout, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word has gone out and it has been received. But ultimately, of course, it does point to the day when Christ will return. We even sang about that earlier. When he will, he will come and he will establish his kingdom. And... And so we rejoice, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what about you? Do you ache for people? Do you pray for people? Do you have a heart that is burdened for this city so that, that you want to see people come to know Christ? Is it something that you, you desire? And I was thinking, not just in a generic sense, perhaps, but I encourage you to put faces on it. Yes, pray for people in streets and houses, but who are they? Pray for people. Billy Graham used to have this thing where 
when he did a crusade, he would, the advance team would get people in the, in the churches to, to pray for five or ten people by name that they know don't know Jesus. And pray for them by name. It's praying for your city with faces. Trying to think, but it's still open if, when you go get your coffee or when you pass somebody. or when, Pray for them too. But to, to have a list of people that you would pray for and be burdened for, to pray for your city, be compassionate. 